Hey gang, welcome to the Your Basket is Empty pod, a space where I sit down with agencies, brands, and original e-com thinkers to discuss their journey, practical advice, and how they're navigating the current digital landscape. Your Basket is Empty is also a bi-monthly industry newsletter that covers the most interesting e-com and direct consumer news, interviews with original e-com thinkers, a jobs board, an event listing section, and a playlist. Go check that out at yourbasketisempty.com. On this episode, I'm speaking with Martin and Paul, co-founders of Ask Phil. We discuss pivoting from SaaS to agency and being early adopters of Headless, the importance of goal alignment between client and agency, the advantages of starting a brand as agency founders, why Shopify is incredibly hard to beat, and the pros and cons of sharing a bed with your co-founder. Before we get into it, this episode is supported by my friends at Recharge. Recharge has helped over 15,000 e-commerce merchants grow and retain their customer base through subscriptions, allowing the brands to grow their business by increasing lifetime value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. If you thought subscriptions were on the decline, listen to this. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. For anyone running an e-commerce store, customer retention has been at the forefront of your mind, and subscriptions are one of the best ways to meet your goals. Create seamless subscription experience for your community and turn one-time shoppers into long-term customers with Recharge. Learn more at rechargepayments.com slash basket. Enjoy the episode. Paul, Martin, welcome to the pod. How are you and where are you? Yeah, doing well. Monday morning in the office. I'm actually in the attic of a our office is in a building from 1642. So it's uh, quite old school over here. Fucking hell, that is insane, 1642. Yeah. That is crazy. Paul, where are you? I'm in the same building, actually. A different room, so in our different own room. office, but uh, in the same building. Nice. I usually like to start with a bit of a rewind. Paul, maybe we'll start with you. And I'm curious how and why you guys started Ask Phil. Whew. Yeah, that's a long story. I think... Uh, Maybe it's even, I think Martin, it's more, <laughs> probably better if you do this question because uh, Martin is yeah. from the sales. He always does it. <laughs> no worries. Let's get the pitch. No, so, uh, so Paul, me are friends from um, back in student time. We used to DJ back in the days and that's how we know each other. Um, and actually during DJing and uh, we also played squash. And actually every time when we would play squash together, we would... Yeah, talk shit about our old managers that we hated their job so much. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, I think, the starting point about thinking of starting an own business. And uh, Paul used to be, uh, used to work at a big IT company, uh, one of the biggest in the Netherlands in sales. And I used to work at Heineken in global procurement. It was super boring. I think uh, Paul felt the same way. And, um, then uh, we heard about a conference in China called the Canton Fair. It's actually the biggest import-export fair in the world where you can buy anything ranging from uh, phone cases to uh, electric vehicles and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we decided to go there for a month, stay in a Chinese hotel, the cheapest I think we could find on uh, booking.com. Uh, we actually slept uh, or slept for a month together in one bed, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that was also the, the the start of the collaboration where we where we knew if you can sleep for a month in a bed of um, yeah together in the cheapest hotel in China, and where actually the toilet is also a shower at the same time, uh, then you know you can uh, build a business together. 
Uh, so actually, we. I think all co-founders should do that. That's a good test. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Share the bed and share the toilet for a month. And then also drink a lot, so you also and know how hard. someone is uh, when he has a hangover, and uh, yeah. that he yeah, can yeah, also yeah. handle In the hard proximity. times. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually what we did, and um, uh, that's also where the name came from. So. Staying in China, there's almost nobody speaking English. There's no Facebook. There's no Google. There's no way to get around town. But luckily, our hotel manager, uh, he was actually able to speak English. And he thought it was a nice opportunity to talk English to us. Mm -hmm. uh, because there were no, we were his first Western guest visiting. And he handed out his business card. His name was Phil. So every time when Paul me um, ended up in trouble, trying to get a cab, didn't know how to say where we needed to go, ordering food in restaurants, we would ask Phil. So we would <laughs> be like, oh, we have to ask Phil, let's give him a call. So he was our personal clerk for a month. And he really, uh, yeah, he really helped us to get around, uh, around town in China or in Guangzhou. Uh, and then um, we came back in uh, the Netherlands, both we quit our jobs. So uh, yeah, we needed to do something else. I think we came back on a Thursday and on Monday we said, let's start a business. Um, and then the Thursday after we got our first office um, on the on the Keizersgracht in the middle of Amsterdam, because we thought, yeah, if we start a business, we need to have an office, a bit of fake it till you make it uh, mentality. Yep. Yeah, 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 totally. So we, we actually rented the sublet or we rented the place for around, I think, 800 euros a month. was a good deal. And we would mm -hmm. rent out one of the floors we had for 1200. So we also had free lunch. Uh, and yeah, we just started as um, doing multiple things. So we were building a, a SaaS product, actually a digital city guide. Um, a white label digital city guide, which we called Ask Phil. So it was a way mm -hmm. for people to get around uh, town and a hotel like the Hilton could make their own city guide yep. for Amsterdam and then hand it out. Uh, so we actually sold it to quite some hotels, but we found out that our business model was not set up correctly. It was like a big money pit. So on the site, we would do design and development projects to fund this yep. app. Yeah. And then after around like uh, seven months, we saw that the digital agency side picked up. Um, and then, yeah, we killed our darling. We said the digital city guide is, uh, is, uh, uh, is history. Uh, but then we had a second challenge and it was like, okay, we do everything. So we did online marketing, mm. we did email mm -hmm. marketing, we did design development. And essentially Paul and me were just project managers trying to connect freelancers uh, to our clients. Yep. Um, but the challenge was we, we did too much. And then we decided, okay, we need to focus. We need to find a niche and specialize. And that was actually when we started thinking about where do we want to specialize in? And there was also the time when we got our first Shopify projects. And because we were, um, yeah, we, we, we were not able to develop um, or anything. Shopify was quite an easy way to to do e-commerce projects for our clients. Mm -hmm. um, so that's actually what we, we started doing. And we were one of the first in, let's say, Europe, outside of the UK, to be 
a Shopify agency. It was back in 2016. Uh, and we really started pushing. We saw traction from the clients, small brands coming to Shopify. Um, and now fast forward, we're in 2023. And we're currently with a team of um, almost 60 people. And we're really specializing in strategy, design, development, and optimization for <laughs> Shopify brands or fashion, lifestyle, and beauty brands, but who want to work on Shopify. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what we do. Now we're here. I mean, that's a sick backstory, man. That's so interesting. And Paul, <laughs> I'm curious then, like, to take the lens of 2023 and maybe even to look back a bit, uh, like, w- what was it about Shopify that you were interested in from, like, more of a technical perspective? And maybe you could give us a bit of an insight into, like, what's going on in the Eurozone at the moment, maybe not politically, but just from an e-commerce perspective. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe more from a technical perspective, at least. I think when we started, like Martin said, we did everything. We worked with Drupal, Magento, Magento, uh, oh, yeah, with WooCommerce, like everything. And I think when we first did our first project on Shopify, it was like, whoa, this is so insane easy to use. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, the most important for us. So we really saw, okay, this ease to use. It doesn't require any maintenance to get it set up and going. And you don't need any, like, really technical knowledge to just run the store. And I think that was what attracted us most. And then I think when we started to get bigger clients, and I think especially in the Eurozone, because back then when we started, Shopify wasn't able to support multilingual and multi-currency stores. So you need to, like... Uh, duplicate the store and it's like a multiple stores for to be like one store uh, and then yeah, we really we really wanted to find a solution and I think we came there or we saw the trend and I think Paul Rogers of Verfant also pushed it a lot back then was the headless commerce yep and then we started really diving into like the, the edge cases which should find then we really started you know, like doing a lot of crazy stuff so really be on the edge of what's possible with Shopify. And I think then we started, or personally, I started appreciating Shopify more and more because we saw that everything is almost possible with the APIs that are available. And I think we we became really big with doing headless commerce as we are based in the Netherlands. The Netherlands is quite a small market. There's like 18 million people here. So the most brands that start here want to expand throughout Europe. So they go to France, Germany, and then they need to translate the website because it's like crucial for conversion. And back then we pushed like the headless solution uh, with the separate CMS. But yeah, as you know, of course, uh, last year, two years ago, Shopify pushed Shopify markets finally. And now we also see that Shopify markets is like the, our go-to solution for multilingual stores. Mm-hmm. And for some edge case, we really go into the technical sites and really start doing headless development. But uh, yeah, so I think, so looking forward to where we are today, I think what we see now is that yeah, we just see like this low code movement, no code is really getting like better and better each day. So we see that brands that were headless, were on the headless tech now moving back to Shopify native. Mm. Uh, and I think even we now see like really big brands that are like on custom teams, even moving back to Shopify teams. So really to a no code solution. So I think that's a bit of the trend we see uh, in the market, at least from a technical perspective. Yeah, that's really interesting. And maybe maybe staying with you then. So 
What, what, what I mean, I know we, we were at the um, the Shopify agency kind of meetup thing a couple of weeks ago, or, or last week rather, in, in, in London, and Shopify are pretty bullish on their, you know, um, headless or composable kind of like rollout. Like, Paul, where do you see it going? Because you're seeing some interesting data where brands are sort of moving back. Do you think there's still a lot of growth from a headless or composable perspective? And is that where you guys are positioning yourselves? Or is it is that the edge case? You know, is, is the core... Shopify, I can't remember how the guys were referring to it. They, they were purposely not using the word monolith, I remember, but they were yeah, using yeah. like core stack or something like that, whatever it was. Yeah. Like, is that where you guys are positioning yourselves? Yeah, yeah so, so we like to call it Shopify native. So we see mm-hmm. the Shopify native solution that you just use everything out of the box. Uh, I think how we see it is that I think Headless brought a lot of like opportunities to our merchant because they could scale throughout Europe in a way more efficient way. And they had small teams, they could scale rapidly. But in the end, we saw that having two systems, like a separate CMS and like Shopify on the backend, would always increase like uh, overhead. So you need to manage two systems. Uh, more things can go wrong. When you start developing and maintaining, more time is needed. So for us, when a client comes to us, we always start with Shopify native and the edge case is always headless. So mm-hmm. really specifics. But uh, I think looking forward, is that also what we see. And I think there's also the folks of Shopify to go more up market. And I think for the bigger brands, headless still makes a lot of sense. So we recently migrated, I think the biggest Shopify store in the Netherlands uh, to a headless tech. So they were a Shopify native and we just migrated them to headless. And they saw only, so it's the same design, same store, nothing changed, only the tech stack. Uh, they saw an increase in conversion of around, I think, 16%. I don't know the specifics, uh, Martijn, but around 16% increase in conversion. Mm. So I thought, yeah, so I think that's like, so you see that performance matters. So if you're really big and you have the, like a tech team yep. in-house, then it makes sense to go to headless. So there is still like, I personally think there's still a big market for the composables setups. I think even specifically for the big brands and like the really like, uh, that really focus on, okay, this, you know, the, the increase in conversion is worth the investment yep. and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And I, I think it's an interesting concept, right? Because like, I think the, the, the proponents of headless sort of focus a lot on page load speed and conversion, but yeah. it, I suppose it's a wider concept as well, right? Because if it helps with your international setup, so if you're on that edge case between Shopify markets being really, really efficient versus a headless setup, then that's going to help you as well, right? So I suppose that feeds into like, you know, conversion slash, you know, like operational efficiency, et cetera. Um, so Martin, I'm curious then, like, how do you, what does the kind of current ask fill client look like at the moment? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, like I said, our main focus is on fashion, lifestyle, and beauty brands. So we don't really do multi-brand stores. Uh, we like to work with brands, trying to find the balance between experience and, uh, yeah, hardcore sales. Um, we defined like a top 100 most inspirational brands for Askfil as a company. So we have a list and those are... Um, Let's say those are the brands we want to work with and we always check if the brands uh, we're going after or who approach us, if they're in line with the inspirational brands we want to work with. Um, Then usually the revenue is uh, north of 10 million. 
mm-hmm. in terms of uh, e-commerce uh, revenue. But I think the most important thing we're looking for is like for a brand who's forward thinking, who wants to be innovative, who dares to take risks. Um, in the past, we worked with some, let's say, larger or real corporate brands uh, who were not innovative at all. They were not uh, willing to take risks. And we usually see that those are the projects our team does not like to work with. They, they <laughs> almost, yeah, they get bored out of these type of projects. Yep. Well, if we have the more innovative brands who want to try out new things and who also really challenge us. So we challenge our clients all the time, but we want clients to challenge us all the time so we can collaborate and get the best results. Um, yeah. And I'm so curious though, a- like h- how do you kind of like, other than creating the list, like, so there's some good ICP sort of like criteria there, but like, how do you really figure that out? Because my sense is that at the start of the conversations with the client, all this stuff is there. But once you get into the realities of working with a direct consumer brand, you know, they're, they're very trade driven, they're very driven by seasonality, et cetera. So how do you kind of find that balance between pushing innovation, creativity, and sort of challenging them versus the realities of like their business? Yeah, it depends really on what their goals are. So I think that's the start of every conversation. So what would, what, what is the goal of the brand? What would they like to achieve? What are the KPIs we working, um, we working for? So if a client, what we usually see is a client always tells us, okay, our KPI and our goal is to increase revenue. That's like the number one. We need yep. to improve the business. Uh, but then sometimes during a project, we see clients asking things which will have zero impact on any uh, revenue performance. Um, so then it's always interesting to to look back at the KPIs we set at the start of the project, say like, hey, remember, we want to go for conversion optimization, we want to go for revenue, but you're now mm-hmm. putting so much effort on, uh, let's say, an about page. I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe a bad example, but it's really... Uh, about challenging each other and seeing like, how can we find the, the most optimal middle ground? And for some brands, they they take our advice and they, <laughs> they they follow us. And some obviously have their own internal discussions and trying to find with us like uh, the best possible outcome. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I think that's an interesting, I, I think that the, the key thing there is like, if you've got good trust amongst both of the teams, then it's a fertile ground for kind of like, you know, innovative discussion depending on which way it goes but Paul I'm curious though like leading on from that am I right in saying you guys have got a brand or there's something you guys kind of do on the side and how important or is yeah what is that and has that been useful when having these sorts of discussions with clients and just generally understanding how a you know a consumer business works as opposed to a professional services business like an agency yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think it's it's really useful because we can, you know, like not only talk the talk but also walk the walk. And I think the most important part about it. So we started a couple of brands. One of them is Parfumado, that's a subscription service in the Netherlands. Uh, uh, one is Gaia Gaia, that's a clothing brand, and Cycle Care, that's a yeah, female care brand. And I think for us, the most important part is that. We really experience how it is out there and what's important. So, for example, uh, if we take Parfumado, it's one of the fastest growing subscription brands in the Netherlands. 
And with that knowledge, we learned, okay, sometimes Shopify isn't like the solution. So for example, Parfumados offboarded of Shopify and went to another solution uh, because they had some limitations with the platform. Mm. So I think it also gives us like a lot of credibility with our clients yeah. that we can also say, okay, you know, we really want to make sure that what we choose is the best solution for you and we're not like bound to Shopify. And we understand like, yeah, what you're experiencing and what's really important for a brand. And then, so, so how are you guys managing that? If, if you don't mind me asking, you don't need to go into anything too sensitive. Is it just like, is the, you know, do you consider these, I don't know, side hustles or are they their own separate business? And, you know, how are you basically managing multiple things yeah. at the same time? I, I think it's with the Parfumado case, it was actually the first real big project on Shopify we did where we really found out, okay, there are boundaries on Shopify, but we can also mm. cross them. Uh, so we started back in 2017, uh, Parfumado subscription service for perfumes. And it was driven by uh, another founder. And we were like the first one and a half years heavily involved in the tech stack, um, building it, designing it, and also helping with the marketing. Uh, but it's currently like a, a fully uh, autonomous, uh, autonomous uh, company. So mm-hmm. I think they have a team of almost 60 people uh, in Amsterdam. Um, and they're, yeah, they're growing at an impressive rate. So that's quite exciting. While we are, we actually help them onboarding their own tech team and mm-hmm. put in the right people in the right chair. And now we're, yeah, only involved on uh, shareholder uh, meetings, stuff like that. Nice. Sounds like a good position to be in. And, and Paul, I'm curious, just to get back to you. So you, you mentioned there that uh, there was a point at which Shopify wasn't the best platform. So I'm curious to get back to the kind of like headless discussion, or it could be just generally platform discussion. Um, I thought the some of the takeaways from that Shopify event we were at the other day, where they are going to get more aggressive on the headless and composable front, I thought was interesting. And that... Um, I think we all saw the Boston Consulting Group report that Shopify's checkout yeah. is 36%. I think it was the most talked about e-commerce news of one day I've ever seen. So 36% quicker than any other checkout uh, on the planet, which is great. But I'm curious, Paul, from your perspective, like how do you think about the kind of like wider platform market? I think it's a really interesting time and I see, I feel it's interesting when you talk to certain people in certain camps and there's quite a lot of tribalism going on, right? But like, what do you think about the general market? So we've got Shopify. What do you think about commerce tools? What do you think about some of the other players like the centers, the commerce layers? Uh, I mean, there's a plethora of other sort of new platforms that are out there. And then I suppose the kind of the stalwarts, the the Magentos, the Salesforce Commerce Clouds, et cetera. How are you guys sort of assessing the landscape? Yeah, there's a lot of things happening at this moment. I think uh, yeah, for us, Shopify is still really number one. I think we we... we a long time ago, we were at the edge of maybe starting with Salesforce as well. As we saw, we got a lot of clients that just were like choosing between us and thinking, hey, is this something uh, that we should do as well? But I think yeah, it was, it's for us, it's unmanageable. It was like so complex. And I think it's not something we want to start with. And I think now also, if you look at the other tools, like uh, the, the commerce tools, uh, yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's an interesting one, but 
for us, I think the flexibility of having the possibility to go headless, but also stay on native, I think that's one of the most important. So mm-hmm. you can surf like a really broad landscape. So you can surf yep. somebody no code, low code, or like uh, custom code. So really like with the composable headless tech. And I think that flexibility for brand and like all the integrations that it's offering is like uh, unmatched. I think sometimes we see like there are limitations to the platform. I think that's really market specific. So in the case of Parfumado, for example, Shopify is not good at subscriptions with Ideal. And Ideal is like 90% of the market in the Netherlands, a payment gateway. Uh, But they don't offer like a good Ideal subscription uh, solution at this stage. So if Shopify would offer that, then everybody would move back to Shopify again. But that's like the biggest threshold at this stage. And I think... uh, yeah, so, so just looking at the market, I think Shopify is really leading and I don't see the changing in the upcoming months. And I think the, the possibility to go back from headless to like native or like the, the low code solution is just really powerful. And I, all the integrations that are there now with the new checkout, Shopify pay, of course, the integration with markets, uh, I think it's just unmatched. And I think it's really hard for the other platforms to to catch up with that. Yeah, I thought the um, what... Um the guys at Shopify said at that meetup that we're at where you've got the three flavors of Shopify is an interesting concept, right? Because it basically talks to what you're saying there that like you've basically got this, you've got all options on the table. You want to go headless composer, we can do that. You want to go native with kind of advanced features in the Shopify plus kind of mid-market space, you got that. And then obviously if you're a startup company and you're looking to sell online, why the fuck would you not use Shopify? You'd be insane not to, right? So you've kind yeah. of got all of those. And I, I suppose one thing I wanted to ask them, but I felt that they probably got enough heat from the, <laughs> the, the agency audience. <laughs> I didn't want to challenge them too much. Was like, is there a challenge in being kind of everything to everyone? And that like by offering everything, you know, how do you market that? Because you've got like three different audiences. Now, my general take is that like, you can do that, and there's plenty of examples of, uh, you know, Salesforce are a good example of that. They 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 market to enterprise, mid market, and kind of startup. Slack is a good example. They do that. Like, there's a number of other kind of big tech companies that have got multiple kind of ICPs, and they can kind of talk to all of them. But like, yeah, man, I'm curious. What do you think about that argument? That like, just to counter what Paul said, that you know, they've got the three flavors. That's great. But is there a challenge from a marketing and a branding and positioning perspective from Shopify? Yeah. I feel that in the sales conversations with some brands who are not sure yet which platform they're going to take, some of these brands think that Shopify is still like a team setup where you pick a theme, uh, yeah, you, you, you fill it in or you implement it and then it's done. So a question which still comes back, almost every sales uh, meeting of people who don't know which platform they want to go for is like, uh, can we do anything with the design on Shopify? So that it's quite funny that people still think that way about Shopify. Mm, mm. Um, but from us, it's it's very clear that Shopify is really good at all three options. Like one is the no code, the the the, the power of the theme 2.0 and the customizability is yeah, it's like uh, unparalleled. It's uh, it's done so properly. Then you have the, let's say, low code. So if you would build a custom theme, also there they have made such big steps in uh, optimizing the uh, developer experience. Uh, it's a nice, uh, yeah, nice option for the mid-market brands. 
But then we already experienced back in 2018 when we started building headless uh, stores. The 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 power of the APIs of Shopify is mm-hmm. they're so strong and they only keep on optimizing it. And now only now they say like, okay, we're gonna uh, offer commerce components. Well, we feel that that was already possible like two years ago to work for mm-hmm. like the the global brands. So it's not the question if they can, because I truly believe that they can serve all three markets. And the question is, how are they going to tell the story to the uh, to the merchants? I think that's also the reason why they split off commerce components. I think it doesn't even look like Shopify. I'm not sure if they have an S in the logo, but it's just commerce components. Then they have Shopify Plus, and then they have Shopify. So... Yeah. Well, I think they went through a similar sort of challenge when they introduced Shopify Plus. There was confusion because it was like, well, what am I actually getting here? And I remember for a long time, there wasn't a huge difference. It was purely a psychological difference. Like big brands were like, I can't pay $2.99 for a basic Shopify account. I need to pay more. And then I remember they had like an account manager. That was like the big difference. You may have had some like (laughs) API calls or whatever. There was like, there was something there where there was a difference, but really behind the scenes, there wasn't that much like differentiation. It was purely a psychological thing. You pay more money. Oh, okay, this thing is bigger and better. And therefore, you know, my CFO can sign it off. And I do think that they have a slight challenge in that story and narrative, like uh, the entrepreneur first and like that thing, I think is, I suppose it's weird because I can see how, in some weird way, some of the biggest brands in the world will be really simple. They'll be like the Mr. Beasts of the world and they're fucking huge and they drive huge amounts of revenue. So if you look at it from a GMV perspective, you could say like, okay, well, yeah, that's the enterprise person they should be talking about. And if Harley goes into Mr. Beast's fucking office and starts talking about like commerce components and working with KPMG or EY, he's going to be like, what are you talking about, mate? And that's why he needs to continue that narrative of the entrepreneur first. Anyone can be an entrepreneur, et cetera. But I think the converse of that is he goes into the EY office and starts talking about Mr. Beast and the entrepreneur first. And they're like, what are you fucking talking about, mate? Right? Like, so I I do think there's an interesting, it's a branding thing. I, I reckon like, if I was some of the other platforms, I'd be scared shitless because it's just a branding thing. It's <laughs> yeah. like a relatively easy tweak, I would have thought, and they will just continue to be as dominant as they have been. Um, yeah, and I, I'm keen I think to sort another, of round it out though. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I think another fun, uh, fun fact or fun challenge with Shopify is heaven, what I see when I have conversations with merchants, is that merchants who come from like Salesforce or Magento especially the older builds, they sometimes do not believe how simple Shopify is. Mm. So if we show them the Shopify customizer or explain them how Shopify flow works to optimize things, they're like flabbergasted. They say like, this is, this is not possible. If, the, if they want to change content in some cases, they need their developers on, mm. their, on their current build. And then with Shopify, they can do it from their mobile phone and their mobile app. So that's also quite interesting that the merchants who are not on Shopify yet don't believe how easy Shopify is to use. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's an interesting point you made because it it gets to the point of like the real basic Shopify. Like if you're on the $30 theme, some of the shit that you can do that some of those huge brands really want, like that simplicity is available. 
And I think it's because it costs 30 bucks a month. They think, oh, I'm not even going to consider it or look at it. And once they, sh- they see the capability, they're like, oh, okay, right. I can, I can do this from my mobile. Anyway, that's obviously a very small edge case and big brands are probably not going to be managing stores from their <laughs> mobile. But I'm curious to round it out then. And I want to just finish on a question for you guys, personal question. So I'll start with you, Paul. What's the best thing about working with Martin? What's the most challenging? <laughs> the most challenging I already know Martin always likes to start drinking so, okay uh, we're always and uh, he's really good at it so I'm uh, <laughs> I have a harder time catching up with him that's nice. I think the hardest part yeah and I think the best part is that Martin always is really positive and I think he uh, he always brings out the pos- uh, positive things so when we have like a really rich rough patch or you know like we have some stressful things with clients. He always calls out, yeah, we can fix it. There's no worries. So he always uh, calms me down. Nice. Martin, same question to you. Yeah, I think uh, working with Paul, he's, he's really innovative. So uh, when I would get a question from a client and I'm like, okay, how are we going to manage this? Then Paul's like the first to say, uh, it's going to be easy. We can fix it. <laughs> and uh, so really opportunistic. But he can also deliver on that. So it's not that he just says it and it doesn't work. So in uh, innovative and really pushing things forward. So looking at quality of projects and saying like, okay, we can do better or how can we improve? It's always looking how to push it. Uh, and I think the hard thing working with Paul is indeed when we go to a bar, uh, He's usually the one who I need to bring home. So that's, uh, that's quite challenging. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I think that that's a good uh, yin and yang split between you guys and probably speaks to the reason why you guys are doing so well and you're still in business. So look, uh, I think that's a good way to end the podcast. Paul, Martin, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks a lot. Speak to you soon. There you go, folks. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we go, a quick word from my sponsor, Recharge, the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants launch and scale subscription offerings. Discover how your business can harness the power of recurring revenue and seamless subscription commerce at rechargepayments.com slash basket. Before we go, if you like the pod, please like, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time.